Welcome to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski of Condo Vultures. This is the segment that we do once a week where I bring together current and former journalists, talk about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week based on stories I've picked from a variety of different media sources. So what's going to happen is I'm going to go ahead. Uh, where I'm going to bring up some headlines. I'm going to ask the journalists to go ahead and provide some sort of context. And we look for straight talk. Salty language is permissible. So if somebody tends to curse, I uh, hope you're not going to be too much offended. Who do we have this week? Well, we have John Fackler. John used to work over the South Florida Business Journal, where he wrote about white-collar crime as well as public trading companies. Right now, he does his own public relations and marketing on a uh, consultancy basis. What's going on, Mr. Fackler? Not too much. Not too much. Glad to be aboard. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. We also have Jean Gruss. Jean uh, was a journalist for north of 25 years in the state of Florida, including a gig at the Tampa Tribune. Right now, he has his own public relations and marketing firm called Gruss Communication. Mr. Gruss, how's it going? I'm vaccinated and ready to go. Dude, nice. fantastic. A single vax or a double vax? Um, I've done the single. I'm waiting for the double. Okay, so that means you're you're what are you you're four weeks away, five weeks away from being completely ready to rock and roll. Exactly. Nice, nice, nice. And who is our rotating journalist this week? It's a gentleman you've probably seen his byline up and down and seen it for close to two decades or so. He's also an author. He works over the South Florida Business Journal. That's Brian Bandell. What's going on, Mr. Bandell? Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. I also got the single vaccination last week, so pretty soon I'll be double vaccinated, and all those little high schoolers on the basketball court are going to have to watch out. I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh, Brian and John, how how did it go with your vaccination? What did you guys do? Who, who Where did you get the vaccination? Did you roll up at uh, Miami-Dade College North Campus uh, with no appointment, or did you actually make appointments online? with either Publix or Fresco or Winn-Dixie. Uh, can you guys sort of give us some input about uh, what's the process like? I made an appointment well, I, online with Publix, and it was it was very easy, and uh, they were very efficient, and, um, yeah, took no time and very well organized. Nice. Yeah, I nice. got an appointment. I got an appointment at CVS online. I just You just wait right after midnight. There's a lot of apartments, so I got me and my family were able to make apartments pretty easily. It's uh, there, and there's a lot of CVS around, so yeah, good chance we'll get one within a reasonable distance. Nice, Mr. Facker, you're double vaxxed. Um, uh, everybody yep. talks about the second shot uh, and how it, yeah. uh, you know, sort of brings the real pain. Uh, what was your experience like with the with the second shot? Well, my second shot, as with the first, was at Navarro's, which is a subsidiary of uh, CVS. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, very smooth actually, uh, got in, got out. Um, although I had a few side effects, I'm not sure exactly which ones were related to the shot. I know within an hour I vomited um, <laughs> and, and I was actually sitting out on 8th street in a nice restaurant, just ordered food. I just yacked all over the place. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you, you so aren't then, thinking too much scotch or anything? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's related to that. I think I was feeling sick before. I was probably not even related. But I also had some muscle pains the next day. My shoulders, my upper back, you know, the vaccination shot. It lasted about two days. And I had a little bit of a fever. Um, but that was also gone within an hour or two. So, you know, overall, it was a pleasant experience. Now, now, Mr. Fackler, in order to sort of set the record straight, can you just tell us, what did you eat for lunch that day? 
and you think that your your um, your lunch might have had something to do with um, you know the vomiting. Yeah, I, I don't rem- I don't recall, but I think it had more like <laughs> likely it had to do with the lunch. I'm sure, but, but it was kind of ironic this this uh, episode happened just an hour after the shot. But they say nausea is a side effect, but it's way down on the list, so I don't think it's that. Well, you are a unique uh, cat, so I'm not surprised that uh, you had a unique uh, reaction, uh, unlike everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, I went ahead and I picked six stories. There were so many stories to choose from. It seems like everything is going on in the real estate uh, world or things related to the local economy. Um, What we'll do is we'll go ahead and we'll talk about three, uh, three articles. We're going to take a break. We'll talk about another three articles. After that, we'll take a break. Then I'll ask everybody to go ahead and make a prediction. And then finally, we're going to end up with the comment section of the podcast. By the way, if anybody wants to send a comment, um, any comment we receive, we go ahead and we read during the podcast every Wednesday, this reporter's roundtable. Send an email to inquire at condovultures.com, I-S-Q-U-I-R-Y, at condovultures.com. So, guys, before we go ahead and uh, get into the stories, let me give you an update what's going on on the stats uh, coming from the Florida Department of Health, COVID. 19 dashboard. Everybody can look it up online on their own. The numbers are updated daily. So here's what we got currently. We got 2,085,306. So 2085306 is the confirmed number of cases according to the Florida Department of Health, with 729,900 cases in South Florida, which is Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County, 446,100 in Miami-Dade, 215,600 in Broward, and 131,200 in Palm Beach County. South Florida represents about 35% of all the, the confirmed cases. Now, on the death count, state of Florida is looking at 33,710 deaths of Florida residents with 11,290 in the Tri-County, South Florida area, 5,900 in Miami-Dade, 2,700 in Broward, and 2,672 in Palm Beach. Now, I will point out to you, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that Broward really seemed to be, then the cases seemed to be stepping up more so than the rest of uh, South Florida. And now, for the first time, Broward County actually has more dead than Palm Beach County. Broward had been like the uh, uh, the slowest or the lowest number of deaths. Now, suddenly, it's, it's surpassed what's going on in Palm Beach County. So, that's something to pay attention to. And finally, hospitalizations. We've had 85,800 people hospitalized in the state of Florida with 28,600 in South Florida, 12,650 in Miami-Dade, 9,500 in Broward, and 6,400 in Palm Beach County. Anybody want to make a comment about the COVID numbers? Want to talk about the fact that uh, Miami-Dade County will be lifting its curfew, its midnight curfew. They're lifting it next Monday, which means all the clubs should be opening uh, sooner rather than later. Anybody want to comment about the COVID numbers? Well, I mean, the numbers were started falling from the peak, but they've kind of leveled off uh, really uh, over the past month. They've all, it's, uh, the positivity rate has kind of bounced between five and a half to 7%. Deaths have gone, you know, it used to be over a hundred deaths a day. Now it's, it's less, but it hasn't gone down all the way. So, you know, you're still getting almost 50 deaths a day, sometimes more. So it's, it's definitely still out there and it hasn't gone away. We're hoping, I mean, I hope that, the more people getting the vaccine will make it go go away more, but it's you know it's it's still the numbers aren't where you want to be. You want you want that positivity rate to be you know below five percent and you, before you start feeling more comfortable here. Yeah, great point, Mr. Fackler, Mr. Groose, any comment about COVID numbers? Yeah, I got a bad feeling about this going forward. Um, the numbers are starting not only tweak up, but they're tweaking up nationally as far as the number of cases. Um, we had a, 
a record number of uh, people traveling at the airport because it was Easter weekend. So I think the numbers are going to uh, turn up in the next few weeks, and uh, hopefully it's not going to be another surge. It's just going to be something small. Yeah, which at the same time you have countries in Europe, including France, which are going on lockdown again. Italy, they're on lockdown again. So everything that they were dealing with a year ago, it all seems to be returning where, um, you know, here I guess we're uh, outpacing the rest of the, the, the world with the exception of Israel uh, with the number of vaccinations. So maybe that is a, a little bit of good news, at least from that perspective. I don't know. Listen, I, I was out the other night, and the, the bars were packed. I was on Coral Way, uh, Miracle Mile over there, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at everybody without a mask, and I'm one of them. I'm one of the numbskulls out there, so... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get a reservation at a restaurant here in Miami. Yep. I mean, uh, I, I, I heard, like, people complaining that they couldn't get reservations uh, because all the restaurants are jam-packed. Wow. Well, I will say, if you're eating on Lincoln Road or Ocean Drive, chances are you're going to get overpriced and the food isn't going to be that good, so you might be saving some money. <laughs> guys, guys, interesting yeah. side note. Uh, today on CNBC, they had an interview with an analyst, and the analyst was talking about some of the stocks of casinos, publicly traded casinos, and what they were saying, and I'll get this. Remember, last week we had Francisco Alvarado, who was in the heart of um, Ocean Drive during all the chaos that ensued with the with the tweaking, which John Factor was talking about on top of the police cars and some of the, uh, you know, the, the mob scenes and things like that. They're actually talking about this analyst is talking up the fact that everything you saw in Miami Beach during spring break, it's all going to Vegas. But the difference is Vegas will have big spenders and they're hoping Nevada and Las Vegas, the old strip and the new strip, they're going to have the same type of experience Miami just had or had been having during spring break this year. Uh, what say you guys? Is that, uh, is that something to look forward to or is that a little bit frightening? Well, I mean, it, depend, it depends who's going, right? I mean, you're, you're hoping that if people who are older are going, they're, they're getting the vaccination first and then going and then feeling a little bit better about it. Um, hopefully more young people can get the vac- vaccination. Now, we know that the young people are less at risk of dying from it, but they're still, they still are dying. I mean, there, there was just an, uh, a University of Alabama fan who came back from the final four. He was a, he was a college student age. He's in his young twenties and he died from COVID symptoms. Wow. So don't think just because you're in your young twenties, you know, you can't have a really bad reaction from this. You, you still can. So while, while people in their young, who that age might have a lower rate of hospitalization and death, it, well, it's not zero. Great point. That's a great point, Brian. Um, with that, guys, let, let's go ahead. We'll get into our first story. Now, I mentioned that we are going to do a segment. We're going to ask everybody to go ahead and make a prediction. Everybody will be asked to sort of predict something coming down the pike. So our first story is going to tie into something that Mr. Fackler predicted last week. He predicted that cruise lines will not be profitable in Q1 of 2022. Mr. Fackler, a story coming across the wires today is Norwegian Cruise Line will require COVID-19 vaccines in a bid to get cruises restarted. Restarted. So if this actually happens, Mr. Fackler, your prediction last week might have been proven wrong within a week. So <laughs> let me read yeah. that. Let no. me read the headline. Let me read the first couple graphs, and then I'll get you to uh, to to chime in. 
Here we go. This comes from Miami Herald. Norwegian Cruise Line will require a COVID-19 vaccine in a bid to get cruises restarted. Norwegian Cruise Line holdings will require all passengers and crew to be vaccinated against COVID-19 when U.S. cruises restart, becoming the first of the three largest cruise companies to mandate inoculations for all on board. The new mandate applies to passengers and crew members on the company's three cruise lines, which are Norwegian, Oceania, and Region 7 Seas. The company made the announcement in a bid to convince the United States Center for Disease Control and Prevention to allow its ships to begin cruising from U.S. ports in July, which, Mr. Fackler, that would be Q3 for what it's worth. What say you? What do you think of your prediction, and what do you think of this idea of having all passengers vaccinated in order to get cruise ships going yet? Keeping in mind that South Florida has some of the largest, if not the busiest cruise uh, ports in the world. What say you, Mr. Fackler? Well, what I say is that they must have been listening to my predictions last week. Because... <laughs> I essentially, you know, because the story that was out last week was the CDC was not allowing them to move up the uh, uh, the date till July um, because they, you know, because of the COVID. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, Norwegian jumps on it and says, listen, we'll, you know, we'll do this, we'll do that, but, you know, give us July 1st. And this is CDC regulation. So um, apparently um, they're the first of the major cruise lines to make a move, but, uh, Carnival apparently hasn't done anything and will, uh, apparently will not do anything. I think there's another cruise line mentioned in the story that's doing some, you know, some uh, mitigation or whatever. To, to, but, you know, the, 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 the message that they sent to CDC um, didn't address all of the CDC's concerns. I think there was something about ports. And uh, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember the details. Maybe you can find it in the story, Peter. But it's, um, the, the, you know, Norwegian's the one taking taking the, the lead here, and it'll be interesting to see if the other major cruise lines also follow suit. Interesting. Jean, I want to get your comment, but let me read just a couple points from this story. Keeping in mind that President Biden, um, he announced, remember, he wanted, he wanted 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days, and he upped it to 200 million. Then he made a comment that by 4th of July, if everybody goes uh, forward and does what he's asking them to do, we could actually be celebrating 4th of July with all of our family and friends because everybody would be inoculated. So Independence Day is symbolically could be the end of the pandemic, at least here in the United States at least a short-term uh, version of it. So, so uh, here's what we got in the story, uh, Jean. Um, uh, the CEO, Frank Del Rio of Norwegian, he says, we respectfully request the CDC lift the order, which is stopping the, um, the, the cruises, for all Norwegian cruise line vessels departing from U.S. ports effectively the 4th of July. So you see what he's doing? He's pegging it to the 4th of July, which President Biden threw out. But let me tell you what his plan is, Jean. Uh, Del Rio, again, who's the CEO, he says that the cruise ships would start at 60% capacity on 4th of July, and then every 30 days they would add 20% capacity, increasing increasing until they were uh, uh, on the way towards profitability. What say you, Sean? Well, I, you know, I don't know how logistically uh, they're going to enforce the vaccination rule. I mean, look, when I got my vaccine, it was on this little rinky-dink card, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's pretty easy to reproduce. I mean, uh, you know, you could, I mean, what's to prevent people from, like, making their own COVID vaccine cards? <laughs> I mean, what, how are yeah, they, the, 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 va- the vaccine passport is an that. issue here. That's true. Yeah, it's a, good point. a lot of I mean, fight I mean, in the, the U.S. The about will we have an official vaccine passport or not? Because uh, some people want it, and some people, like Florida's Governor DeSantis, doesn't want a, an official government vaccine passport. So that's that's uh, getting the, the proof of vaccination is going to be an issue. 
Well, and, and uh, th- th- there was a letter that's been sent to some of the online sites, including Shopify, asking that the, the, the people who control these, uh, these online retailers, that they be on the lookout for anyone trying to sell fake vaccine cards uh, to people who basically want to avoid getting vaccinated and be able to get, on, uh, get into situations like, like cruises. So uh, anybody have any thoughts about that? You can make your own. You can make your own with a photocopy machine and some, some hard stock. I mean, this is like, you know, and there's like, you know, make a little squiggle here with a doctor's signature, and there you go. You got the vaccine. I mean, uh, yeah, it's not a real, you know, fail-proof system. Yeah. But, I mean, other countries are doing it, like Israel Israel, and the United Kingdom are, are getting systems, like electronic systems, but there seems to be some resistance here to doing that. Uh, but, but, I mean, that's the best way to do it. You know, you could have a QR code on your phone or, you, or carry a laminated paper, that, you know, with a QR code on it that will link to it and can get scanned. There, there are ways to do it if, if we want to do it like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, that's a great point. This is something we're all going to be watching with a lot of interest. Uh, story number two, we're going to go to Brian. Brian, this is actually a piece you wrote. It appeared in the South Florida Business Journal. Let me read the headline, Brian, and then maybe you can sort of fill in some of the blanks. Tell us before I read it. Um, there's a lot of talk about how you can't get a Disney reservation. It's impossible to get a hotel room. John was saying that uh, Coyote was slammed. Everybody was out at the bars and things like that. Brian, uh, the headline of your story is Aloft Miami Brickle. Aloft is a is a brand of hotel. Aloft Miami Brickle Hotel. It's targeted in a foreclosure. Brian, what gives? I thought everybody's coming to town because the state of Florida is open, and yet this uh, hotel is facing foreclosure. What uh, what can you tell us? Well, this is uh, fortunately it's not unique. So yeah, the, the lender is alleging they owe seventeen million dollars, and that payment stopped in April. So here's the problem. The number of hotels last year, they were closed, and they had real trouble um, paying their bills, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in some cases, lenders gave them time, and they wanted to make up. In some cases, they were able to make it up, and in some cases, they weren't. And then the question is, how does the lender play ball? Do they pay a ball nicely and say, you know what? Play, pay us back in two years at the end of the loan. Uh, may make we'll add three months. You miss three months of payments, so we'll add those three months to the end of the loan. We'll waive all your late fees and all that stuff, and we know that eventually you'll sell this hotel and you'll be okay. Or in this case, the lender could play hardball, and they're like, you know, with their commercial mortgage-backed securities fund, uh, and they're like, you know, listen, pay us, pay us the interest, pay us the late fees, pay us what you owe. They're, you know, uh, you're not. The government isn't doing a mandate. You know, isn't, they're not doing things like they're doing for residential, where they're letting people. You know, they're giving people more time. They're not giving the hotel borrowers more time, uh, so they can play hardball and say, "Look, pay us up." And in fact, in this case, the loan was a special servicer was Torchlight Investors. They sold the loan for at par, the same principal of the loan to an affiliate of Torchlight. So now they have it, and they're basically pressing to get fully repaid, uh, and plus the interest, plus all the all the fees and all that stuff. Interesting, interesting, Mister Becker. What, what do you make of that? Um, do hotel 
did they deserve some sort of um, leeway or freedom to try to catch up? Because we're, we're, you know, we're still in the heart of this pandemic, and it shows that tourists are starting to come back to town. So who knows? Maybe this, uh, you know, this owner of Aloft uh, Miami Brickle can get back on its feet, or is this simply a loan-to-own type of situation where, uh, you know, the commercial lender doesn't really give to uh, bits and they want the property or they want all their fees or they want to basically hold um, uh, the hotel your hostage. What say you, Mr. Beckler? Well, you know, I just thought the whole, um, it's just, I, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, we were just talking about how there was going to be a, there's a move on the foot that a lot of the uh, construction going on, uh, a lot of the uh, uh you know, a building going on was going to be hotels. I thought we talked about this just a few weeks ago and how ironic they have, you have somebody going into foreclosure. I mean, it's, um, I'm curious to see if this is going to be a trend. Uh, of course, you know, I, uh, I defer to Brian, whose uh, piece was brilliant. Uh, but going yeah. forward, I'm curious to see what he thinks. I mean, there's already a couple of hotel development sites that are uh, facing foreclosure lawsuits, you know, like the Triptych yeah. Hotel Development Site in, in Miami Midtown. That's, you know, in, in a foreclosure and a bankruptcy, they're trying to find financing. So, but I mean, other people are proposing to build hotels, so it's possible. Right. The, the question is, will banks finance it? And, you know, banks yeah. are skittish about it. And, and that's how, how, how do you get a hotel construction loan right now? Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a little a little tough. Yeah. So, so, so we, we, we look for straight talk on the podcast. And the lender in this case is saying one thing, but yet the market is talking about how great, um, you know, the tourism world is going to be in the roaring 20s and things like that. Anybody have a thought about, you know, kind of what, where, the, where the reality is? Is it somewhere in the middle? Is it the whole going to be very staunch and selfish? They take a cautiously optimistic but very conservative approach. Who, 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 who do you think is right in this, to, uh, helping the audience to understand uh, you know, with everything we're hearing, which way is it leaning? Is it leaning towards the lenders not having confidence or leaning towards the hoteliers being able to sort of, uh, you know, get their way out of this situation? Well, you got to remember, there's two types of hotels. There's leisure hotels and there's business hotels. And hotels in business districts, you know, they're, they're doing terrible. Hotels on the beach and resort areas that cater to leisure travelers and tourists, they're doing great. But the hotels that are catering to business, I mean, there's no business travel right now. And there probably won't be a whole lot of business travel for quite a while uh, as people still are not in the offices and they're still not traveling for business. So the business hotels are really taking it on the chin. And I think I think this one in Brickell would be considered a business hotel because it's in the Brickell Financial District. So, I mean, that's a big difference yeah. from, a, say, a hotel on the beach. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, a lot of people got so used to doing Zoom conferences and Zoom de deals over Zoom. They're like, well, why am I – why am I spending, you know, three days flying out to meet this person for a conference? Why are we spending all this money and renting a, gi a giant ballroom to fly everybody in? Yeah, you know, gee, we, we could do the same meeting on Zoom and not spend $20,000. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Okay, story number three. Uh, Jean, let's go to you. Um, uh, this is coming out of the Tampa Bay Times headline, Florida regulators asked to take over a St. Petersburg insurer. And if you guys remember a few weeks back, we talked about how insurance companies were asking for a hike increase uh, for uh, uh, insuring single-family houses and real estate in the state of Florida. Part of it had to do with valuations. Part of it had to do with the fact that there hadn't been storms lately, but because valuations were going up, these insurance companies were worried 
if something comes rolling through, uh, they're going to be in a very difficult situation. There's also the greed aspect of it. So, so Jean, let me read you the first couple graphs, and I want to get your take on this. Again, headline out of Tampa Bay Times, Florida regulators asked to take over St. Petersburg Insurance. The subhead, American Capital Assurance Corporation, has recommended was recommended for receivership on Friday, according to the state. Florida's insurance regulator took the unusual step of asking the state to take over a private property insurer Friday. Florida Office of Insurance Regulation recommended that St. Petersburg-based American Capital Assurance be placed in the state's care because of insolvency. The company agreed with the recommendation, the office said. John, what say you? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're in uh, April. Uh, yeah. Hurricane season begins in June, and we just lost an insurance company. Is this, uh, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Should we be worried? And what does it mean for rates? Well, this is all part of the never-ending homeowners insurance policy uh, disaster that has been plaguing Florida since Hurricane Andrew and the creation of Citizens, the, the insurer of last resort, which unloaded a bunch of policies to private insurers, undercapitalized insurers, um, and Unfortunately, uh, now the problem is is coming home to roost again because these undercapitalized insurance companies um, may not be solvent if a storm rolls through. So here we go. We here we go again. We have the same problem every three, four, or five years of this of these homeowner insurance policies from companies that are just not able to collect the premiums necessary to remain solvent. And so, you know, and, and unfortunately taxpayers are going to end up picking up the tab again because all these policies are going to be shunted over to citizens and, um, you know, back on a taxpayer, you know, backed insurer of last resort. It's a, it's a never ending story. And unfortunately, here we go again. Now, 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 Brian, um, uh, let me read a couple points out of the article, then I want to get your, to you to comment on this. So in the article, it says, back in March, and again, we're only fifth, we're only the 5th of, uh, of April. They said in March, the ratings company, Demotech, withdrew its financial stability rating for the company at American Capital's request. It was previously rated in A for excellence. AMBS, another ratings company, they dropped the insurer's uh, A- minus grade to a C, citing the very weak financials. Now, now what American Capital has said is that the reason they're in this um, this difficult situation is that there were five unnamed storms that hit the state of Louisiana, and that's where they took the hit. So is this an anomaly? And did the Brian, what's what say you? I think some of these uh, companies, I mean, they're, they're taking on a lot of risk. And if a storm happens to hit the same area a bunch of times, I mean, unfortunately, you know, Louisiana had a couple of hurricanes that really went through the same part of the state. Yep. There uh, and that really hammered them, but but that can happen, and and you know storms are getting worse, the flooding is getting worse, so it's it's going to be a challenge. And remember, if if insurance companies fail and can't pay their claims because there's too many storms, that ultimately falls on everybody because then if you start going to the catastrophic reserve fund, and then you that can lead to surcharges on everybody's bill. So don't think oh it's not my problem. No, it is your problem because everyone will everyone will suffer and have to ultimately pay if you have a bunch of insurance companies that start going down. But, but Brian, do you, do you think there's any um, validity to the idea that this real estate boom, which is driving up prices, that's also creating havoc because suddenly if a storm comes rolling through and your place is worth 400 grand versus, you know, three years ago it was worth 250, 
suddenly that's a lot more exposure. And I'm not sure that the, you know, the monthly fees uh, have necessarily kept up with the valuations that we've seen, especially during the pandemic uh, craze buying. Yeah, and, and that's one reason that a lot of the insurers are going to try and stay away from coastal areas because they know the values are especially high in those coastal areas and they don't want to touch that. And it's another reason why they're trying to get rid of the, we'll, you know, we'll pay you the current value. They're trying to get pay, we'll pay you the depreciated value over time. They're trying to get away from, you know, get a bit of a less expensive policy on that. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's tough. They're trying to find uh, ways to not pay the full uh, replacement value because it, it, it's a lot right now. Got it, got it, got it. Great, great insight, guys. Let's go ahead. We'll take our first commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to have three more pieces, including Prime 112's owner. He's cashing in. He's cashing in on one of his properties. We also have a warning that a tidal wave of distress could be coming down the pipe in terms of loans. And then finally, somebody says that this real estate market, it's not for amateurs. It's not for amateurs. So we're going to ask the panel to go ahead and comment on that. So stay tuned. We'll catch up with you on the other side of the break. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Before I started doing these podcasts, I basically was in the business of being a licensed real estate broker, a contributing um, columnist for the Miami Herald, as well as the Miami Real Deal, but also expert witness work in consulting. So if you are looking for an expert witness or if you're looking for consulting services, a straight talk perspective as to what's going on in a particular marketplace, a building, or what happened previously for whatever your situation is, whether you are a, an attorney, whether you are an institutional fund looking to invest, or whether you're a lender who's trying to come up with some sort of a strategy and approach uh, for your lending committee going forward, I just might be able to help you. To get a hold of me, please uh, reach out to Peter at condovultures.com. That's Peter at condovultures.com. Or give me a call to the office at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859. After a one-year hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we're bringing back the condo correction tours. I'm Peter Zalewski, the host of this podcast. I'm also the one who will be leading these tours. These are three-hour tours where we go to a particular neighborhood. We walk the neighborhood. We talk about market conditions. We look and talk about buildings. We also talk about what's going on in those particular buildings. Everyone who attends the tour, uh, they're given a handout talking about the, what's the current state of that particular market from a buyer as well as a seller perspective. It's real heavy on the information in terms of the handout, but it's also really uh, interesting and insightful based on the stories behind the buildings and how they are performing. So I encourage you. If you're in the market for a condominium, if you're trying to work to get listings in the condominium, this is probably a tour that you want to uh, take. It's straight talk, much like our podcast, and chances are you're going to enjoy it. You're probably going to want to attend all of the tours going forward. To get a schedule of our upcoming tours, please go to condovultures.eventbrite.com. Again, condovultures.eventbrite.com. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. I have Brian Vandell of the South Florida Business Journal. I have Jean Groose. He used to be a journalist for 25 years. Now he has his own public relations marketing firm called Groose Communications. And I have John Fackler, who wrote about white-collar crime and publicly traded companies in South Florida at the South Florida Business Journal. Now he does public relations and marketing. Guys, um, story number four, and let me sort of set this scene. I always say... When locals start selling and out-of-towners start buying, that means the market has changed. Um, the locals tend to know when the, the jig is up. They know when to cut bait and, uh, you know, when it might be getting a little sketchy. So I just want to sort of set that scene before we go into story number four. And uh, we're going to start off with you, Mr. Fackler. It's coming out of the real deal. Prime 112 Restaurant Tour sells Waterfront Phoenician Isles home in off-market sales. 
Miles Chevitz paid $5.6 million for the house back in 2013, and that was the subhead. Let me read your first couple graphs, Mr. Fackler, and you take it from here. Restaurateur Miles Chevitz wasn't planning on selling his waterfront Miami Beach home when a billionaire buyer presented an unsolicited offer. Chevitz, the owner of Miami Beach's landmarks Prime 112, Big Pink, and other restaurants, said his Venetian Island house wasn't for sale. But if there were $12 million in front of me, that would get my attention. Lo and behold, Mr. Feckler, he sold the place for $12 million. Um, what say you? Is that simply a shrewd move, and he's going to take the money and invest somewhere else? Or is this a guy who sees a writing on the wall, thinks pricing is near the peak, and he's got some billionaire throwing cash at him, and he said, I better take it now and not take a chance because I don't want to be standing if the music stops. What say you, Mr. Feckler? And by the way, have you ever eaten at Crime 112? Uh, it's above my pay grade. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, um, I'm a little confused by this because we've been reporting uh, or talking about uh, stories over the last month or so where people have been cutting bait, but they've been losing money big time. Um, they're just cutting bait and running. Well, so, well keep in mind, I, Mr. Fackler, if I could, if I could, yeah. where we've seen the people cutting bait has typically been on condominium units and hasn't okay. been on single-family houses. Just to clarify, oh, okay. but anyways, go ahead. All right, all right. Well, that that does clarify it because to me, that's um, you know, it seems like uh, this guy got an incredible deal. He bought this place, I believe, for five, four or five million, and walked away at five point uh, six, nice... five point six, yeah. and sold it for uh, twelve million. Yeah, I, I I would like. There were a couple other examples too in that story of other uh, sales. Um, uh, and, oh, know, John, 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 if I could clarify, sorry to interrupt, yeah. clarify. he asked $12 million, the guy came in, the billionaire came in, the guy's name is Warren Lichtenstein, he's a uh, yeah. founder, executive chairman of Steel Partner Holdings, he actually gave him 15.5 to go, to walk away, 15.5 wow. according to the article from The Real Deal. And that's what he paid, the final price? Uh, 15.5, correct. Wow. I mean, that's just, um, I think that's just a matter of circumstance or luck or whatever, because I don't, I don't see that being a trend. Uh, but again, you know, but that is a trend over and over. I'm seeing a house is double or triple in value, you know, wow. here in less than 10 years. So yeah. it, this yeah. is what's going on in, in Miami beach in Palm beach. We're seeing that well, for, for these kind of houses. Well, this, this is, is this an inventory type of situation as well? The, the lack of inventory? Uh, 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 driving up prices? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there is. I mean, if you, if you look at it, like on the Venetian Islands, I'd say almost 80% of the houses on the Venetian Islands have sold in the past year. It's crazy. Wow. Same thing on Sunset Islands. I mean, there's and there's very little left for sale. So people, and if you want a home in that area now, guess what you have to do? You have to make cash offers. And I'm hearing from a lot of people who own homeowners there that they're getting, like, calls and letters with big cash offers trying to convince them to sell. And, you know, listen, if someone offers you double or triple what you paid, it's hard to say no. You know, cash wow. out while you can, you know. So it's a bidding war out there. Are these luxury, Brian, mostly luxury on the high end? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're – now, some of them are luxury houses that are fairly new. Others yeah. are, like, houses from the 50s that might get torn down and replaced oh. by something bigger. So it depends. Huh. Sometimes you have to look. Sometimes you have to look at the listing and see is the listing highlighting the house or is the listing yep. highlighting beautiful waterfront lot and barely mentions right. the home. So <laughs> that gives you an idea. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Now it's uh, boy, it's something I have to watch. I really can't believe it. 
So, so uh, Jean, let's go to you. I want to get your comments now. Anybody who hasn't been to Prime 112, it's, um, it's a steakhouse. It's known, one of the reasons it's known, if you go to the bar, they have the, they cook bacon and they stand it up in jars. So instead of offering like uh, peanuts and popcorn, like some of the uh, drinking establishments Mr. Packer goes to, this place has like high age <laughs> bacon that's out there with the, that you have with your spirit before you go ahead and you sit down. This is the place that Pat Riley uh, from the Miami Heat, as well as LeBron James. There's a celebration after some of the championships from the Miami Heat. This is like the go-to place. ESPN used to refer to it pretty regularly during the LeBron James era down here with the Miami Beach when they said, um, you know, LeBron James was taking a tell to South Beach. A lot of people thought of uh, Prime 112. Uh, this gentleman has a whole variety of restaurants. He's got a good eye for real estate. He tends to get in early on situations, and the market sort of comes. So, so Jean, what I want to ask you is, some billionaire comes knocking on his door, throws a price at him, and the guy decides to um, to just sell and leave. Um, well, well, what do you make of that? Is that, is that somebody who's got, a, a, got a, a track record of being able to sort of foresee the future, making a shrewd move, or a guy simply uh, is going to have some cash to go ahead and, and buy another place and maybe uh, spend more than he would like to? What, so what, what do you think is coming, John? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is the story of Florida. It's boom and bust, you know, and and here we are again in the middle of a boom uh, and people are acting wacky and crazy and paying <laughs> ridiculous prices and, and, and offering like three times the value of your house for your house. I mean, this is... This is what happens in Florida. We've seen it over and over and over again. I mean, since the since the 1920s. I mean, it's um, it's it's just um, you know, it just plays itself over and over again. And I, I I think we're seeing it again this time. And you know, people are you know people are not acting rationally because we're not in rational times. You know, we got the pandemic. We got virtually free money from the fed it's it's uh the reopening it's it's just uh people are flocking to florida again and you know it's uh they're not they're not acting in their right minds i mean of course you know this billionaire's probably got you know plenty of money to to spend and maybe 15 million dollars uh may not be you know the 15 million dollars it might be for us but you know, it, no. it might be like me, me buying uh, buying a pair of shoes and deciding to I pay five dollars more. That's basically what it is. To him, you know what? You know, if he if he yeah. sells it and loses two million, so what? That's like so me what? putting yeah. a dollar in my feet cushion. You know? That's a big deal. True, true, true. Um, okay, uh, story number five, John. We're going to stick with you. Um, uh, this story is coming out of Bloomberg. Comes out of Bloomberg. Here's the headline in the first couple graphs. Mortgage firms warranted prepare for a tidal wave, and air quotes, of distress. Mortgage companies could face penalties if they don't take steps to prevent a deluge of foreclosures that threaten to hit the housing market later this year, a U.S. regulator said Thursday. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau warning is tied to forbearance relief. That's allowed millions of borrowers to lay their mortgage payments due to the pandemic. To avoid what the Bureau called an avoidable foreclosures when the relief lapses, mortgage servicers should start reaching out to affected homeowners now to advise them on the way they can modify their loans. And then the, uh, let me give you a graph, Sean, and then I'll ask you to comment. There's a tidal wave of distressed homeowners who will need help, said Dave Ueo, the uh, uh, CFPB's uh, acting director, said in a statement, servicers who put struggling families first have nothing to fear from our oversight, but we will hold accountable those who cause harm to homeowners and families. What say you, Jean? 
Well, you know, here's the thing I don't understand. Here we have like uh, we have a totally different situation from the last downturn in that this time around property values are soaring. Last time around during the last downturn of 2008 to 2010, I mean, property values collapsed. And so the foreclosure crisis was, was really a crisis this time. What I don't understand is, well, if you can't pay the loan, why don't you just sell the house and you pocket whatever profit that you've made in the last year and go rent for a while? I mean, I don't understand why it's a, why, why it's a crisis, because here we have property values that have, you know, virtually exploded and people now have equity in their homes. I mean, if they can't pay the mortgage, why don't they just sell the house and pocket the difference or save the equity and rent for a while until these crazy prices stabilize or, or, or drop down? Now, 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 Brian, let, let, let me get your comments, but let me read a graph out of the article. It says more than 2 million borrowers as of January had either postponed their payments or failed to make them for at least three months, the Bureau said. Once government-authorized forbearance plans begin to end this September, hundreds of thousands of people may need assistance getting back on track. Um, Brian, what do you make of that in terms of the number, and what do you make of the fact that some people say, if I sell, there's nowhere else I can go and afford? So, Brian, can you give us some comments? Well, then the amount of delinquency has been slightly shrinking uh, gradually as the economy has improved more people are getting jobs. Uh, and a lot of those people were allowed to use forbearance to get back on track. Now, obviously, some people uh, still don't have jobs, and that could be that could be a problem for them. And and the question is, how long will this last? Hopefully, at some point, they'll be able to get uh, get jobs and they'll they'll get help. It's possible some of them could decide to sell their house. Of course, that depends on you know what they paid for. Are they underwater in South Florida? Uh, probably they're not underwater. It's gone up, but remember there are part there are parts around the country like. Uh, Midwestern cities that have seen values decline that aren't maybe aren't in the type of demand Florida is in. Um, some cities people have been leaving may not have as high demand, so people who bought at the peak might be in a little bit more trouble there. And there are also people for personal reasons just don't want to move, right? Uh, they they prefer to stay stay put. Um, so the, the government's going to try and help them. It's just it's an interesting deja vu because. Remember last time uh, in the recession, a lot of companies were fined a lot of money for not helping homeowners, for foreclosing on them when they shouldn't have, for breaking the rules, for foreclosing on military veterans. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the companies are going to be able to stick to the plan this time. Great point. Great point. Um, guys, uh, story number six. Brian, we're going to start off with you. This is coming out of CNBC. I'll read you the headlines in the first few points, and then I'll ask you to comment. Headline on CNBC, in quotes, this is not the time for amateurs, end quote. Says real estate agent in fiercely competitive housing market. Three key points. There are about twice as many working real estate agents as available listings. Uh, point number two, this March there were 20% fewer homes listed than last March. Point number three, potential sellers have several concerns, the largest being that they were afraid they won't be able to find or afford another home. Brian, what, what, what do you say to that amateurs? Not just the agents, but what about the buyers and the sellers? Do you have any perspective? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. There's, there's, there's a lot of agents and not many listings. Listings have gone down dramatically, and that's why some people are getting those 
those letters and those phone calls who, who don't even have their home listed. Agents are like, I can't find any listings. I need to send out letters. I need to call people. I've gotten unsolicited calls about my home from agents, you know. Uh, they're trying to do everything they can to try and uh, shake something loose. And, and, you know, sometimes they're representing buyers uh, trying to try and make it happen. And, and you can imagine how frustrating they are. They have to explain to buyers, look, we don't have, like, two months to go visit uh, houses, you know. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm going to visit this house and I'm going to see five more houses. No, if you like this house, make an offer today. Because guess what? It's probably got three other offers on the table and it's probably selling in a week. Like, you don't have nice. time to think about it, you know. And, and so a lot of people are saying, you know, no inspection. Like, we'll, we'll, we're putting down cash, no inspection, buy as is, no financing. Like, the faster you go, the bigger an advantage you have, which obviously can be dangerous because Lord knows what could be wrong with a house if you don't do an inspection. Uh, but, I mean, it, 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 speed is the name of the game right now. So it, yeah. it, can, it can be really competitive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, gonna, Mr. Beckler, Mr. Beckler I, want, I, want, I want to get some comments from you. Let me read, let me read a graph or two out of the story. It says that um, uh, effectively agents are trying to entice sellers with available properties in their areas. It says, it feels like a game of Tetris where where we're looking at the whole playing board and we're trying to place people and strategically move people around in a way that best fits their lifestyle and gives them the ability to sell. Mr. Feckler, you were talking on a previous uh, podcast about how you went in and you were, you were looking for a place and, yeah. and they were, they were bidding in front of you and you got caught yes. up in it and you would just go from place yes. to place to place getting into bidding wars. Could you sort of rehash some of that and then tell us, uh, compare and contrast what you remember last, last time versus, versus kind of what, what, what's going on this time. And I, and I don't mean to laugh, but, but it was very, it was very colorful the way you described yeah. the last time. Well, it's, it's very reminiscent. The first thing I, I, you know, thought of when I, I saw this piece was this is exactly what happened during the last roundup. I mean, I was running around every every other day from one condo to the next. Every time I get there, I get bitted out. And there was like a stack of papers on people's, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, desks and stuff. So, yeah, that was, it just was very, this is very reminiscent of that. Um, interesting, in my neighborhood in Shenandoah, uh, you're seeing this happening as well. You started to see postings, like on the neighborhood um, online uh, neighborhood uh, posting. I saw a house a, a block away from me that was going just north of a half a million, going for 800 now. So every mm-hmm. you, you're seeing this everywhere. It's a wild scene. Um, you know, I, and, and to Sean's point, I don't know why. You know, I think it's uh, you know why people are just sitting back and renting and just you know why you know. Just sit back and rent, and, and you know when the time is right, the time is right to get in. Because um, uh, I think I think it's an interesting point too about when they say people are afraid to make the move. It's not just the inventory issue. People, you know, with the pandemic, they're a little gun shy. You know, people are just afraid. They don't want to move. They're afraid they're not going to get a house if they sell their house. So unless they got something lined up, they're afraid they're going to get screwed. So you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues going on here at once. Yeah, and, and guys, we're, we're kind of over the time for this segment, but let me just throw it out there because I think it needs to be asked. Um, given where we are right now, we are in April, we have all these people getting vaccinated, we're looking at a 4th of July opening, uh, according to President Biden, we're 4th of July uh, Independence Day, people can come together for barbecuing. Um, is there something to be said for having um, cash in the bank, i.e. not being real estate rich and cash poor, uh, kind of given where we are in the market, or am I just being the chicken little? 
that's my philosophy. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have you gotta have dry powder. You you gotta have dry powder because you know the 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 you know this is a boom and bust cycle and and it's classic classic. So I mean, yeah, you're but you may have to wait a while and you may not earn anything on your cash for a while. Are you okay with that, Peter? That's a rhetorical question, I assume. And then Brian, did you? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, you all, I mean, at this point, I think a lot of people who had their incomes impacted during the pandemic who had cash were very happy that they had that cash on the side to give them yeah. some leeway, you know. Uh, you know, it's very easy to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna take my monthly expenses to almost the limit, and I'm not going to put anything on the side, and I'm going to, you know, keep that bank account lean and mean, but... You know, then there are times where you might lose a job or you might have an income reduction or something, and you're going to really need that cash. And I think a lot of people not here realize that, you know, uh, that that, yeah. that extra cash can really help you out. Great points. And um, on that positive note, guys, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. The other side of the break, I'm going to ask the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Back in 1995, I got my real estate license, but I didn't practice for a number of years simply because I was writing about real estate as a journalist. 2006, I broke out and I launched a company called Condo Vultures. The idea was to try to use information, uh, data, and know-how to try to get the best deals on behalf of buyers. So if you are a buyer and you're looking for a deal, you're looking to try to understand the condo market in the Tri-County, South Florida area, myself or my team are here to help you to get a hold of us. Please call us at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. If you're enjoying the Condo Vultures podcast and you want more information, but this information in the written word as well as charts, why not sign up for the South Florida Distressed Market Intelligence Report? To do so, go to condovulturesrealty.com. Slightly below the main banner and logo, you will see a sign-up box. It's called the South Florida Distrust Market Intelligence Report. Sign up. Simply enter your email address, hit subscribe, and lo and behold, every week you'll be sent a newsletter giving you the latest updates on what's going on in the distrust market in South Florida. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm Peter Zalewski. This is the segment where I ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. Uh, I sort of foreshadowed this in the first segment where Mr. Fackler had made a prediction that, were, that the cruise lines would not be profitable, <laughs> at least until the first quarter. And then, lo and behold, the cruise lines are trying to open up for July 1st, which would mean their chances are they're going to be profitable. So, Mr. Fackler, let's see if we can't let's see if we can change that lucky out of um, predicting the opposite of what plays forward. So, um, what say you? What's your prediction this uh, this week? Well, this one is out there, but it's uh, this was a real gut instinct. Um, I mentioned uh, earlier that I was out with some friends. We were out in Coral Way. The place was jam packed with people, and um, I remember saying to someone, "says You know, enjoy this while you can, because there's been an uptick, you know, in the number of cases in Miami." You've got uh, the airports getting slammed for people. People are not wearing masks. And my prediction is, uh, I won't say two weeks, but I'll, I'll say by the end of April, so it's, mm -hmm. it's more recent, um, that there'll be such a surge in new cases that they will have to, sh Miami will have to shut down again um, uh, as far as going out, shut down the restaurants, shut down the clubs. I don't know how long they're going to shut it down, but I, I believe it'll be so bad that it'll be a full shutdown. 
Interesting. Even though the uh, Miami-Dade County mayor has just announced that the midnight curfew uh, will be ending uh, a week from now on April the 12th, you still think that they're well, going to be shut down it's, the community it's, yeah, by May? It's going to take, it, take several weeks before the numbers show, as you know. You know, uh, yep. every time we have one of these uh, surges, it takes a few weeks for it, to, uh, for it to show its face. So that's why I'm saying the end of April, because in two weeks, you'll start to see these terrible numbers. They'll have to make a decision by the end of April. They're going to shut it down. But then again, my predictions are not always right. So, <laughs> Mr. Groose, given the fact that uh, Mr. Factor's predictions are rarely correct, that's probably good news for the uh, hospitality and the restaurant industry. What, uh, what would you make of your prediction, Sean? What, I, what, I, 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 I your reservations now. <laughs> I, I, I should have bought some cruise line stocks a week ago. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, okay, my prediction is that um, we are going to return to uh, an employment, pre-pandemic employment levels uh, by this summer. Uh, hospitality is going to rev back up. And um, I think that already uh, the state's uh, unemployment rate has fallen below 5% now. And I think um, uh, Miami-Dade and Broward and Palm Beach will quickly uh, get to the uh, unemployment rates that uh, – uh, was prevalent uh, before before the downturn, and um, you know already. I don't know if you're hearing this, but um, I'm hearing that restaurants and hotels and the hospitality industry is having trouble uh, finding people. Um, and uh, I, I'm actually seeing job fairs now. Um, uh, there's a company in Miami called Reef Technology. They just announced a, a big job fair that's coming up. I think it was in your paper, Brian. Um, uh, and I'm sure that's because they're having some trouble finding people. So I think uh, we're going to have some some labor tightening uh, coming up, uh, you know, very soon this summer. I think. No, 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 Mr. Mr. Groose, um, we're 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 basically in April, which is a beautiful month in South Florida with the temperatures just ideal, 70s, uh, high 60s. A lot of people like it. Locals wear a jacket, but it, it's doable. Now, what tends to happen in the summer is you'll get uh, groups out of Latin America who are going through effectively their winter. They'll come up to South Florida, where the people in the northern hemisphere they tend to avoid South Florida because of the humidity, the hurricanes. Uh, you know, the supersized uh, cockroaches that are on the street and on the walls and climbing everywhere, the jealousy windows, all that type of stuff. So um, there's still a pandemic going on in Latin America. Um, you, you, who do you think is going to be coming to um, South Florida to sort of drive some of these jobs if the Latin American um, visitor maybe can't yet visit because of all the problems they're dealing with down there and the lack of vaccinations? Is this going to be people from the United States who are going to be coming down? What's yeah, the, what yeah. happening? Yeah, it's it's going to be people from up north because you got to remember Europe is closed. Europe is going to be shut down. Yep. They're in lockdowns. They're not going to have the vaccine until late. Their summer is over. No one's going to Europe. No one's going to the Caribbean. Okay, um, yep. and they're all going to come down here. Listen, you got to try try to make a reservation at a hotel in South Florida this summer. It's it's tough. Like. A lot of hotels are extremely full. I mean, you try to get a hotel like anywhere in the Keys, for example. I mean, forget it. You know, it used to be that these hotels, the hotels in the Keys were like half full in the summer because that was low season. 
Um, but no, not this year. I mean, people are going to hit the road and they're all going to be vaccinated and they're going to be like, where can we go? And, you know, they're not going to be going to Europe and they're not going to be going to the Caribbean and they're not going to be going to Mexico. Um, so they're all coming down here. Believe me, I, I really think we're going to see a lot of tourists this summer. I cannot wait to see people sweating profusely <laughs> in July and August. <laughs> they're they're going to be in the pool, man, with their little drink. Yeah, why well, say, Mister? Um, <laughs> a lot of sunburn. Invest in sunscreen stock. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Bandel, you're going to give us a, not only your normal prediction, but you're also going to give us a bonus prediction. What say you? Uh, I believe that there's going to be at least two new elite private schools announced in South Florida over the next year. Uh, what I've wow. been found, found in the story I've been, I wrote is that a lot of the private schools uh, like Ransom Everglades, Palm Beach Day Academy, uh, American Heritage, they're jammed with students now. They're getting a lot, of, a lot of these wealthy people that are moving from the Northeast that we're talking about, they're bringing their kids. And believe me, those kids are not going to public schools. The public schools actually have falling enrollment. They're sending their kids to the best schools we have. Uh, but the problem is a lot of those schools are, are, don't have a lot of room. Like you take Gulliver, like they, they have a mandate of how many students they can have on their campus. So a lot of these high-end schools are kind of land-constrained, uh, and enrollment's going to get very tough. And so I believe what's going to happen is people are going to see the opportunity. They're going to hire some really good teachers. They're going to start opening some private schools. Maybe they'll go to a couple of the Catholic school campuses that closed and relaunch them as, uh, you know, not, you know, private, nonprofit elite schools. And I think they'll try and draw some of the uh, some of these wealthy students and uh, sort of a you know a, a private campus uh, type of a setting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Wow, and and I guess commercial real estate could be cheap for these new schools, huh? Assuming they can find place where the recesses and uh, recess space, as well as uh, the the parking requirements. Interesting times. I'm assuming, Brian, what what would that be like? A mall, maybe? You think they're going to take over some of these struggling malls for the school, or what do you think they're going to do with real estate wise? Uh, it's interesting. I know that it's not a private school; it's a charter school. But the former Miami Herald printing building is being converted to a charter school. Wow! Yeah. So, so there are there are creative ways. You know, if you if you buy an old, you could buy an old warehouse. Um, you could buy. You could easily buy an old shopping center, uh, and, and mm-hmm. change it. They have a lot of parking. Um, so there were, and then remember, there are closed campuses. The former um, Johnson and Wales University campus in Miami closed. Yeah, um, there's sure. a lot of going to buy oh, really? it. So that would actually be an ideal private school. Uh, there are a number of, of campuses that potentially, you know, could be converted. So I think I think there are opportunities. You know, golf courses. That's another opportunity. Uh, you know, a lot of land. So. I think you'll I think you'll see that that start to happen. Remember in New, in New York where a lot of these people are from, the private schools aren't big like here. A lot of them are in buildings, so you don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to have a great campus. If you have something for, you know, in a building that's in a, an attractive downtown area, you know, it's it's more about security and 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 for their kids and having an elite setting. You know, if these are billionaires and they're sending their kids to school, they don't want to be among everybody else. Um, so they, they want this, this kind of right kind of uh, security and exclusive, you know, they don't want people snapping photos of them. Oh, this is this billionaire kid. This is this actor's kid. 
You know, they want everybody to be on that level so their kids can uh, fit in a bit more. That sounds like it's probably going to be the next hustle. And Lord knows we have a ton of unused office space or space in old apartment buildings in uh, downtown Miami, especially between the river and uh, the American Airlines. Well, uh, what is it? The FTX Center, uh, the old American Airlines Arena. So interesting. And my prediction, here we go. You guys sitting down? You ready for this one? The days of the illegal party are over. And what am I talking about? That's, well, that's my prediction. What am I talking about? Well, during the uh, curfew era of the pandemic, what had happened is a bunch of people who were crafty and sort of towing the line of legal and illegal, they started setting up these private parties where they'd go into warehouses and other things. They'd rent it out. They'd, uh, they'd, they'd swap. They then would advertise uh, through social media, and people would roll in, and they'd party all night long, um, uh, raves, if you will, or, um, you know, with the music. The, the, I hear the entry fee was like 80 bucks a guy and 40 bucks for a woman to get in. So that's what's been going on since these nightclubs have been closed due to the curfew. The curfew obviously ends, according to Miami-Dade County Mayor. It's going to end on the 12th of April, which is a week from now. But why do I think the days of the illegal parties are also over? Well, it turns out there was a Miami City commissioner who allegedly was at one of these parties and got into a little bit of a tip with an inspector who was accompanied by police wearing a surveillance a body cam, and chances are there's going to be a lot of scrutiny applied to these illegal parties going forward, throw in the curfew, throw in the fact that we're probably going to see nightclubs opening. So my prediction is that is the last of the illegal party that primarily was happening up in the Liberty City, Alapada, and other parts of town area. So that's my prediction. Guys, we'll go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to get into the comments. This is Peter Zaliski of the Condo Vultures podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I wanted to alert you that if you have a property that you're looking to sell in the Tri-County, South Florida area, I would encourage you to reach out to Jenny Hortus, a licensed real estate broker with CVRRealty.com. She's my partner. She's been in the business for uh, north of 15 years. More importantly, she knows the market. She knows how to get a deal done. And she also realizes that it's more important to get a price that you can accept and sell the property rather than to hold firm on some price that's never going to be achieved and ultimately languish on the market. So if you're looking to do a deal that you want a skilled expert who can help you sell a property, reach out to Jenny Hortis at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit her website, cvrrealty.com. If you're listening to this podcast, think about who else is. If you want to reach that crowd, which tends to be investors, buyers, developers, lenders, why not advertise on the Common Cultures podcast? To do so, give us a call at the office, 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm Peter Zalewski. We were talking about the predictions, and now we're supposed to be talking about the comments because this is the fourth segment. Turns out I was a little bit ahead of myself. Brian was going to give us a bonus prediction, and uh, I started talking too quickly. Brian, what was that bonus prediction before we go ahead and we get to the comments? WrestleMania is in Tampa this weekend, so I wanted to make a WrestleMania prediction. On the women's side, I believe Bianca Belair is going to win the women's title, beating Sasha Banks. And on the men's side, I believe Edge is going to win the WWE title. So those are my WrestleMania predictions if you're going there. I know a couple of people on Facebook who are vaccinated and they're going, I think they're having 15,000 people in the stadium that holds, I don't know, maybe 50,000. So they are going to have a show. 
WrestleMania. There you go. Any ever anyone ever been to a WrestleMania? Uh, what do you call it? Do you call it a competition or you call it a performance? What's the what's the proper description? Call it performance. <laughs> performance. Performance. Uh, Brian, do you have a favorite wrestler? Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, all time. I guess you'd have to say The Rock. Uh, I, I, I guess. Good answer. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess. I mean, from UM like me, I mean, I mean, come on. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Mr. Fackler, you, you, you have to have a famous um, uh, wrestler, favorite wrestler. Yeah, I used to like the Hulk, but I like the Rock too. The Rock I, also too like, okay. I also like I also like the Undertaker. Um, the Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, he's a crazy man. In fact, that was uh, that was my nickname at the business journal. My editor used to call me the Undertaker because I used to go after all these companies. So. Can you bet on it? Can you bet? Can you bet? Can you bet on it? Can I? Can I bet on it? What are the odds? <laughs> you can. You can actually bet. There. There are wagers. There are a lot of wagers uh, going on at uh, WrestleMania. Now, I, I think it's a little weird to bet. Uh, to bet on something where the outcome uh, is probably predetermined, but people still do it. So <laughs> you can. <laughs> I'm, John, I'm you have my money. I'm, put, uh, I'm putting my money on you on your guy. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and I think mine would probably be uh, Randy Macho Man Savage. <laughs> He's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, is the one I like. So, um, guys, let's let's go ahead. We'll get we'll get into the comments now. So, uh, I want to remind the audience if, if there's anything that you want to. Um, uh, Discuss. You want to ask a question? You want to make a compliment? You want to criticize? Please send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. I n q u i r y at condovultures.com. Last week we ran a little bit over time because we were talking to Francisco Alvarado about the experience being on Ocean Drive uh, during the heart of the whole spring break out um, uh, situation, if you will. So we we push back our comments. Mr. Factor, you have the comments and you're you're ready to go. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, hey, uh, what do we got, Mr. Fackler? We've got a comment from Ilya from the Treasure Coast. And, uh, Ilya. Ilya, welcome back, Ilya. We haven't heard from you in a while. Yeah, just to give you a heads up, he's got um, a comment uh, on your profile from last week, but he also has a, a really, really good question from last week's roundtable. And also he, uh, he, he um, chops me off at the knee as well, so this should be interesting. Okay. Okay, the first one, um, this comment was, what a legend Jim Freed is. And I hope I'm saying that right. It might be Freed. Uh, it is Peter, Freed. How do you, Jim Freed. It is Freed. TV, how do you find such mavericks, or do they find you? He thought it was interesting uh, that his LinkedIn tag uh, has a name and a business first. He thought that this is a very driven approach to life. So maybe you could uh, tell Peter, Peter, maybe you can inform the, uh, the listeners about the uh, Jim Free podcast. Well, and, and how do I find him as well? So as I would say, if, any, if anybody's got an interesting story, um, please please send an email to inquiryatcondovultures.com. Um, if you think that you have a story that's worthy of a podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We're looking for a straight talk, and we're looking for something that's insightful as well as possibly trendsetting. So in terms of Jim Freed, uh, he's somebody who's been doing commercial lending for quite some time. Uh, he got here in the, what, the 19 – he started working in the 1980s. 
uh, in real estate, especially in finance, as well as, um, uh, you know, the transaction side. So I wanted to touch base with them because we were a year into the pandemic, and I wanted to see what the outlook was for commercial real estate lending. And basically the takeaway from his podcast is that there's a lot of money on the streets. Uh, as long as the people have some sort of uh, plan and a strategy, uh, Jim says that, uh, you know, the money is looking to be placed somewhere. So it was, a, it was a fascinating sort of conversation. Also a conversation that was sort of interesting in that um, uh, Jim Freed, what happened is his wife had a kidney issue, had to have a ki- kidney uh, replaced, and he used social media to go ahead and actually find someone who donated a kidney and ultimately um, uh, saved his wife's uh, life. So it's a fascinating tale. It's a podcast that appeared two weeks ago. Keep in mind that Ilya sent in these comments for last week, but we, we kind of ran over time. So that's why we're just getting to Ilya's comment this week. So um, uh, what else does Ilya have to say, John? Well, he uh, moved on to the um, round table and um, he said he thought my comments about birds were eccentric. He loves it. Um, I don't want to go too much into the birds again. But um, he has a really interesting question, and that is, he, he poses this. When a big developer, such as Related, builds a complex or a tower that has 50% of condos to sell, sell not prepaid, no deposits, no contracts signed, you know, what are the holding costs? How long uh, can they wait until they uh, sell the same without uh, feeling pain? Can they usually pay off the mortgages? And whatever they uh, owe on the building is what they had pre-sold um, while per, uh, patiently waiting for the rest of the uh, condos to be sold. Brian, you want? I, I got some comments on that. Brian, you want to make some comments, yeah. or do you want me to go? Or I've, I've seen a couple of times. I've seen where they try and they usually want to be done with it. I'd say by nine months or a year after they start yep. sales, or at least mostly done with it. I've seen a couple of condos get inventory loans. I guess that's what a thousand museum got with Jim Freed. It was sort of an inventory loan to carry the unit right. they haven't sold yet until they finally sell them off. Uh, I know a couple uh, buildings got that. I think Privé Aventura got an inventory loan, um, you know, which, you know, which helps you carry them, because usually the construction loan has a harder deadline. Um, so if, if you can't repay that, the inventory loan will help, or the inventory loan will help you with your taxes and insurance. But certainly, you don't want it to be forever. You know, you and you don't want to yeah. discount them. Uh, well, so, remember during yeah yeah you don't want to take too long. Remember during the downturn, um, WCI Communities, which was based in Naples on the other coast, had a bunch of towers, and uh, they ultimately filed for bankruptcy. Um, during the downturn, I mean, because they were caught with all this unsold inventory, I mean, and these towers that were half built. So, I mean, yeah, there is a point where you would feel the pain. Yeah, but inventory loan is not good overall because it's eating into your bottom line. You thought you would be out of these, but now not only are you keeping them, you're paying interest on them. So it's it's that means you're you're a little less profitable than you want it to be, basically. Exactly, exactly. I mean, from what I've seen, typically um, uh, about nine months after you get your TCO or effectively the condo declaration is filed, uh, many developers want to be out, and then if necessary, they can probably get the six-month extension. And then once you're once you pass that, it really the clock is really ticking. And keep in mind, some of these developers will withhold 10 to 15% of a building. Why? Well, they want to be able to have units so if somebody walks in and they want to touch it and feel it and be able to close rather than go under contract, you know, and have their money tied up for two, three, four years, 
Some of them simply want to be able to walk in. But when the market turns, all of a sudden you're stuck with this stuff, just like what happened at a thousand museum where you have then have to go ahead and get an inventory loan. Um, I will point out two two buildings, guys. Um, uh, just I remember going uh, doing the data um, where, where sales where developers couldn't unload them, and it took them like a decade or so. And yes, I'm saying that a decade. One was Continuum over in South Beach. In fact, the developer there might still actually have units left. And the other one was the Four Seasons on Brickell Avenue, where simply they couldn't unload everything. And eventually, over the course of time, the units were uh, able to be traded. Now, I don't know if the units were rented in the meantime. I don't know if they were levered. I don't know what the situation was. But, uh, you know, ideally, a developer wants to be out sooner rather than later. Because like Brian said, it's going to cut into their bottom line. And keep in mind, these developers have investors. They have people who pledge money, and those people want to get paid. Um, what happened during the downturn last time, there were situations where you had, like, architects and investors. They were simply deeded over condos rather than being repaid and said, uh, listen, you can turn around and sell it. Now, I know that's happened in a couple of circumstances here during this particular cycle where simply the developer couldn't unload everything and they wanted to sort of call it a day. So they deeded over to some of the investors. They deeded over some of their properties, and then the investors got properties instead of, um, uh, you know, the money that they thought they were getting back. So um, uh, anything else, uh, John, that Yeah, just oh yeah, he's gonna yeah cut you at the knees. Yeah, one last uh, one last he's got one last kneecap for me. Um, He wants uh, Ilya wants to know when when we're gonna see the prediction page on the website. He wants to see (laughs) how John F is 100 percent right 30 percent of the time. Show us the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just well. Mr. Factor, you had volunteered to go ahead and put all that together. I, uh, up to this point, I don't think I think you were too busy uh, chasing away birds and magpies, uh, avoiding magpies and things like that. So we'll just um, okay, you, you don't have down. to respond to that one, John. Okay. <laughs> I'll definitely get on it. Okay. Hey, anybody want to make a last comment before we um, we end this podcast? I just want to say thanks for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun, and if. And if you want to check me out on Twitter, it's uh, at Brian Bendel, and you can also see my books by searching for Brian Bendel on Amazon. And that is Brian Bendel. He's a senior reporter over at the South Florida Business Journal. Brian, how many years have you been doing it? You've been doing it 20-something years, no? Uh, I've been at the South Florida Business Journal for 17 years, and I guess you could you count the other the other years I was at other publications. You get about 20, yeah. You could, you could you reach that. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And we also have... John Groose. John was a journalist for 25 years, uh, including a gig in the Tampa Tribune. Right now he has his own public relations marketing firm called Groose Communications. And then we had the birder, John Fackler. used to write about white color time and publicly traded companies over at the South Florida Business Journal. He now has his own public relations marketing firm. And I'm Peter Salusi. I want to remind you, if you're not yet a subscriber, please go ahead and do so wherever you're listening to the podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a comment and a rating. The more comments and ratings we get, the more likely we are to go ahead and spread our message and try to accomplish our mission, which is bringing straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. And then finally, if you have a comment for us, any comments we receive, we're going to uh, discuss during the Reporters' Roundtable. Send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, get inoculated. We'll catch up soon. Ciao, ciao.